If there was a meeting that I really was hoping there would be everybody here, it was this. And you'll find one of the reasons why is because this is so incredibly practical to bringing about the experience that we all are seeking to have. And this is the reason why I want us to um, be available, but we'll, we'll do what we can for those of us who are here. There's quite a few of us here, and praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. But I want us to look at another dynamic that's going to be very important as we look into the uh, principle of afflict our souls. That's what we studied yesterday. We studied the afflicting of one soul. Did we learn a lot? Amen. And, you know, the Lord wants to show us and reveal things to us to help us best understand how to walk with him and to let not our will but his will be done. But you're going to find that there's something very key in this principle of afflicting our souls that I believe God wants to make plain to our hearts today. So you're going to see that we're going to talk a lot about that quotation that we read from the book of Ezra, chapter 8, and verse 21. So before we do that, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we will officially begin our session. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity once again to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to learn of your words of truth, to best see how we can know the way of God and how to let Christ, the way, live out his life within us. And Lord, I pray that you would please forgive us of our sins, clear our minds, grant us the alertness that we need. And I pray, dear God, that you will make plain your truth unto us so that we can best understand how we can cooperate with you as you're doing your final work in the heavenly sanctuary. And Lord, I pray that you will first speak to my own heart, that you'll take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And Father, I say those words not in vain repetition, Father, because there's more about Jesus that I too would learn. And so, Lord, I pray, grant us all a revelation of the will that you have set before us so that we can walk in that will and that let not our will, but thy will be done. Abide with us as your people. Bless us, we pray. Thank you for hearing our prayer, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ezra chapter 8. That's where we started our study yesterday when we were seeking to understand the principle of afflicting one's soul. And we were in the book of Ezra chapter 8. And there were some wondrous things that the Lord wanted to show us that I think you and I would do well to consider. Who remembers what is it when we were seeking to understand what does it mean to afflict one's soul? Like how do you, how do you define that? Who remembers what we found in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21? What did it tell us about afflicting one's soul? To afflict one's soul was to do what? To seek the right way. Is that right? And that required examination. But I want you to see something that was directly connected to seeking a right way. And it was right there in the verse. It says in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21. It says, then I proclaimed a what? A fast. A fast. It says, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might. So in other words, this fasting was absolutely necessary for them to successfully afflict their souls and understand a right way. Are you seeing that in the verse? 
That's why that word that is there. He says, we put together this fast so that we can afflict our souls and understand a right way. Notice the verse again. It says, then I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict our souls before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. So fasting was something that was an integral part of the children of Israel being able to successfully afflict their souls. Now, I wonder, what is it, you know, we we need to understand some things about fasting. We need to understand some things about it. And I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 10. And we're going to look at fasting from a basic principle, but we're not going to look at it in its very broad sphere. There's many ways you can look at the topic of fasting, but there's something very specific for this study that I want to bring out to our attention. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, and we're in Daniel chapter 10. And when you're there, please say amen. Amen. Now in Daniel chapter 10, I want you to see what the Bible says starting at verse 1. It says, in the third year of King, of the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. Now, look at verses 2 and 3 carefully. It says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning, how long? Three full weeks. Then it says in verse 3, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now here it is that Daniel is doing something that's called mourning, but at the same time connected with this mourning was fasting. And that's why Daniel refrained himself from eating certain things. He was trying to understand what is this vision all about. I want to make, it, I want to make sure that it's, it's clear. And later on in the chapter, you see that the, the, the vision was made very clear unto Daniel. But one of the things that he did was he also fasted. But you'll notice that his fasting was not a total abstinence from food. Is that right? Okay. And the reason why I'm bringing this point up is I want you to see that from a biblical premise, that fasting does not mean an abstinence from food all the time. It can mean that it's an abstinence from certain kinds of things. In fact, I want you to listen to this quote. This comes from the book Daniel and the Revelation, written by Uriah Smith, page 239. It says, this morning of the prophets, speaking directly to the prophecy of Daniel 10 we just looked at. It says, this morning of the prophet is supposed to have been accompanied with fasting. Not an absolute abstinence from food, but a use of only the plainest, and most simple articles of diet. He ate no pleasant bread, no delicacies or dainties. He used no flesh, nor wine, and he did not anoint his head, which was with the Jews, an outward sign of fasting. So fasting is not always connected to a total abstinence of food, but fasting can be an abstinence from certain kinds of foods. Now, the reason why that's important is because we saw in Ezra 8 that there was a direct connection to the afflicting of one's soul so that they can successfully see the right way of God. Are you following? So therefore, since 1844, when we entered into the anti-typical Day of Atonement, when we entered into this judgment hour, it was imperative that God's people understood their position and their work. And the position and the work was, number one, we should be having a holy what? 
convocation. And we saw now what we can apply that to on a broader level. Amen. But then the next thing was that we had to afflict our souls, which inquired, which means that we had to do a lot of self-examination to make sure all things were well and we can seek the way of the Lord in a right pattern. But what you'll see is that one of the things the Bible brings to our attention that helps an individual successfully afflict their souls, examine themselves, see themselves for who they really are, is that the Bible says that fasting needed to be connected to it. And fasting is not just an abstinence of food, but fasting is something that can be an abstinence from certain foods. Now, the reason why I bring that point out is I want you to consider this. In the book, Councils on Diets and Foods, page 90, it says the true fasting, which should be recommended to all. To how many? To all. Are you in all? All right. So this means that this is a recommendation for you. Is this a little old lady from the 1800s with a third grade education or is this the testimony of Jesus? All right. So Jesus is making a recommendation to us all of something called true fasting. Let's look at what he says. Notice the true fasting, which should be recommended to all is abstinence from every stimulating kind of food and the proper use of wholesome, simple food, which God has provided in abundance. Are you following? So therefore, the Lord is making it plain to your mind and my mind to say that there is a fast that we all are sure or should be applying in our lives today. And that fast is not an abstinence from food, but it's an abstinence from every stimulating kind of food. We need to break that down. We need to understand what does that mean? How can we go to the Bible to receive instruction on the kind of foods and things of that nature that we should put in our body? And what in the world does it have to do with how it affects my mind? And this is where we need to understand the role of health reform connected to this time of the investigative judgment and the experience of afflicting one's soul successfully. Are you following? All right, good. So therefore, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's food manual, the Bible. I remember I was doing a meeting in Connecticut a few weeks ago, quite a few weeks ago, a little over a month or so. And when we was in that meeting, we did a health meeting. We were doing an evangelistic meeting, but we started with health. And as we started to do health, do you know that night number two, Night number two, we dealt with uh, high blood pressure. And as I was teaching on high blood pressure, we had lots of visitors who came. And when we was teaching on high blood pressure, I was letting the visitors know. I said, did you know that the best health book in the, in, in the world right now is the Bible? And they were looking at me like, are you serious? And I said, yeah. I said, the best health book in the market is the Bible. It's God's manual. It's God's food manual. It's God's health manual. It teaches us everything we need to know about how best to govern this human machinery called the body. Yea, God's temple. And we started to walk through this thing. And do you know that by night number two, we did a study on high blood pressure. And at the end of that study, we had seven souls give their hearts to Jesus. You see, some people are busy going around teaching people about health. Is that what God told us to do? No, brothers and sisters. God did not give us a message of health. God gave us the gospel of health. 
And this is why we're told in Councils on Diets and Foods, page 75, that in the presentation of health principles, we must keep connected the principles of health reform and the third angel's message. When you keep the gospel connected to it, this is where the power comes from. In fact, when you get a chance, I want you to do a little homework. I want you to go and read volume one of the Testimonies to the Church, page 337. When you read volume one of the Testimonies to the Church, page 337, there was an elder, and the elder was actually preaching or teaching about the Sabbath truth. And as he was doing it, Ellen White gave some comments about his work. And you know what she said about him? She said, what you did and what you presented on the Sabbath was no different than what a Seventh-day Baptist would have done. That's That's what she said. She said, what you did was no different than what a Seventh-day Baptist would have done. But then she said this. She said, but had you connected the messages? I wonder what messages she was talking about. None other but the three angels' messages. When you say three angels' messages, does that do something to you? It should. She says, when you connect the messages to it, she says, then there would have been a power that would have convicted the minds of the hearers. When we teach people health independent of the gospel, brothers and sisters, all we're doing is teaching sick sinners how to become healthy, vibrant sinners. That's not God's work. That's not the work he gave to Seventh-day Adventists. If you want to be a health worker, you can just be a New Ager. New Agers know about charcoal. New Agers know about hydrotherapy. New Agers know about the benefits of the sunlight and all the way to open air. They understand all those things, brothers and sisters, and some of them teach it better than us. But there's no power because there's no gospel. And therefore, whenever we teach health reform, we must help people see the spiritual connection to it. How does this affect my walk with God? In fact, do you know that there are people today that actually say what I eat and drink and how I live has nothing to do with my walk with Jesus? You know there are people who say that? They say, my eating and my drinking habits have nothing to do with my salvation. It has nothing to do with my walk with God. It has nothing to do with my level of spirituality. My eating and drinking is just a side issue. It's an option. I can choose to do it or not. It doesn't matter. And you know what? I remember one time I came to a church, and when I spoke at that church, I taught on the gospel of health. And when I taught on the gospel of health, one of the the, the leaders came to me. They said, Brother Lemon, they said, man, they said, this was truly God's providence to have you come here this Sabbath. And I thought they were just expressing their happiness about understanding a little bit more about the body, the mind, and, and food and diet and spirituality and all these things, how they all work together. And he said, no, no, no. He says, it's deeper than that. He says, we had a conference official come to us and tell us last week that our eating and our drinking habits have nothing to do with our walk with Jesus. And he says, and here you are, you come here and you totally contradicted that. But he said, but the difference was, is that what this individual said, there was no biblical support. What you said had total biblical support. You see, that's the difference. And now I want to make it clear, brothers and sisters, not all of our brethren. I praise God that from Elder Wilson all the way down to Mark Finley and many others, there are people inside of this church right now in various roles of leadership in our conference that clearly understand the connection between health reform and the gospel and the need for them to be married and never divorced. And so it is that I always ask people, I say, well, if you believe that your eating and your drinking habits have nothing to do to affect your walk with God, perhaps even your salvation, I always ask people this question. And if there's somebody in here in this room that may be feeling that way, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you believe that the practice of iniquity 
can definitely separate between you and God? Do you believe that? Do we believe that the practice of iniquity can cause a separation between us and God? Of course you believe that if you believe the Bible, because Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says that our iniquities have separated between us and our God. Is that right? So iniquities can definitely do that. But here's the question. What is iniquity? What are some acts that I can do that the Bible calls iniquity? In fact, if I were to ask you a question, if I were to say Sodom and Gomorrah, what comes to mind? You think of all these horrible sexual sins. Is that right? You know what? I think you're going to see something today perhaps you've never seen before. Go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 16. In Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, I think we're going to see something in a light perhaps we have never seen it like this before. And I want you to see what the Bible says in Ezekiel, the 16th chapter. I heard someone yesterday, a nice, lovely little lady. She came to me yesterday. She said, Brother Lemon, I would appreciate it if every time you read, you make a Bible verse statement that you'd repeat it three times. So I said, all right. So I just said it twice. I'm saying it a third time. Ezekiel chapter 16. And I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 49. We're in Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, verse 49. We agree that iniquity is definitely something that can cause a separation between God and man. But yet there are people who say my eating and my drinking habits have nothing to do with my walk with God and cannot affect my salvation. Well, let's see what the Bible says. In Ezekiel 16 and verse 49, if you're there, say amen. Amen. Let's read it together. It says, behold, this was the what? Iniquity of thy sister Sodom. What's the first thing on the list? Pride. What's the second thing? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Bible just gave a list of the iniquitous acts of Sodom. Is that right? And iniquity is definitely something that can separate us from God. Is that right? So therefore, the Bible just said, this is the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. And it started to walk down the list. The first one was pride. But what was the second one? Fullness of bread. What is that? Some people say, you know what that is? That's what I just did this morning for breakfast. Huh? Fullness of bread, brothers and sisters, the Bible says, is overeating. The Bible used a term called gluttony. Are you following? Gluttony, the Bible calls an iniquitous act. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And people say, my eating, my drinking habits have nothing to do with my walk with God. But the Bible just says that iniquity definitely can cause a separation. And one thing that the Bible lists as an iniquitous act is overeating. The practice of gluttony. And so, brothers and sisters, it's not biblical. In fact, can I show you something? I want to show you something that I don't know if you've ever even considered this. Go to the book of Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. You know, medical missionaries are taught to ascertain the cause. We want to ascertain the cause. Why did this happen? It's not enough to have a cough. You need to know why you're coughing. It's not enough to have a nosebleed. You need to know why your nose is bleeding. It's not enough to have a runny nose. You need to know why is my nose running. You don't just want to treat symptoms. You want to ascertain the cause. And you'll find that the cure is typically in the cause. Well, let's go ahead and look at Exodus chapter 5. And I want to, I want to see if we can try to ascertain the cause. Let's, let's do a little medical missionary practice this morning. In Exodus chapter 5, 
Here's something the Bible says. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Now look at verse 1, and then we're going to look at verse 2. Exodus 5, 1 and 2. Here's what the Bible says. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said what? Who is the Lord? So what did Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord? Then he goes on to say, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Pharaoh sounded like a pretty defiant brother, didn't he? Now, naturally, we would sooner or later ask the question, man, why did Pharaoh say that? Why was he so defiant? I mean, the brother just, you know, he's just meeting Moses and everything, and now all of a sudden Moses is coming in, saying, look, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who's the Lord that I should follow him? Who's the Lord that I should even obey his voice? This is this attitude that Pharaoh is approaching Moses with. Now, my question is, I wonder, could the Bible... Help me see some reasons why Pharaoh could have said that. In other words, if I wanted to ascertain the court, why was Pharaoh in such a belligerent, hard-hearted mindset that he would actually say something so silly as, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Could the Bible help us get at least some level of understanding why he did? And do you know, brothers and sisters, I think I found at least perhaps one reason amongst many of why Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Proverbs chapter 30. In Proverbs, the 30th chapter, I think I have an idea of at least one reason, perhaps, that Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? The Bible says in Proverbs, the 30th chapter, and if you're there, please say amen. Amen. Now, I want you to notice what it says in verse 7. In Proverbs chapter 30, in verse 7, the Bible says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now watch the next sentence. Feed me with food convenient for me. Or in other words, feed me with a sufficient amount of food. What would happen if he didn't get it? Next verse. It says, feed me with food that is convenient for me, lest I be what? Full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Lest I be full. We just saw in Ezekiel 16, 49, that fullness of bread is iniquity. And the reason why is because if you study Proverbs 23 carefully, you will notice that God literally puts gluttony and drunkenness on the same par. Gluttony and drunkenness on the same par. You can even read Deuteronomy chapter 21 when parents would have problems with their children because they were gluttons. And they couldn't control themselves. And at a certain point, they'd bring them to the elders. And do you know that under God's instruction, when the child was a glutton and couldn't control themselves, you know what God told the elders to do to that child? Stone him. I think God takes gluttony very seriously. We don't understand how the consumption of food and drink has a direct effect on the mind. And as a result of that, It causes us to be in a position that if the mind is weakened, we are not able to rightly understand the way of God. And God always saw the connection between this. Now, I want you to notice in this presentation here, watch this. You remember, of course, this wonderful little Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all what? 
to the glory of God. Now, brothers and sisters, if you want to eat and drink to the glory of God or do anything to the glory of God, what do you think would be the first thing we need to understand? What is the glory of God? If I know what the glory of God is, then I can best know how to eat and drink to it, right? So therefore, let's notice what the Bible tells us. We're going to entertain the question, what is the glory of God? And we're going to look at Exodus 33. Now, I know because of the sunlight shining that this may be a little hard to see. But we're in Exodus 33 and verse 18. Now, in Exodus 33, 18, I have it here. And this is in blue, so you should see that just fine. Moses approaches God with this wonderful inquiry. He says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. So the topic at hand is the glory of God. Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to understand. Show me your glory. Now, God responds to Moses in Exodus 33, 19, the next verse. God responds by saying, I will make all my what? Goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. So therefore we find that the glory of God, the goodness of God, and the name of God are all synonymous, have the same meaning. That's like me going to a brother and saying, hey, can you show me your car? He says, no problem, I will show you my Mercedes. We're talking about the same thing, we're just using different terms. Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. God says, no problem. I'll show you my goodness and proclaim my name. Talking about the same thing. Now, did God show Moses his glory? Yes, yes he did. Where did he do that? No. Exodus 34. Notice, Exodus 34. This is where God responds now to Moses' request. Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. And in Exodus 34, 5 to 7, here's what the Bible says. And the Lord descended in the cloud. It says, and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. It says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Question, what did God show Moses? He showed him his character. He showed him his character. You read the book, Faith That I Live By, page 84, Ellen White says that God revealed his character to Moses. And that's what he did. This is, that, this is God. You want to know God? God says, I'm merciful. You want to know God's character? He says, I'm gracious. You want to know God's character? He says, I am long-suffering. That is the character of God. And that's what he revealed to Moses. So check it out. So therefore, now we're a little more intelligent on 1 Corinthians 10, 31. The Bible says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever I do, it should all be to what? The glory of God. And the glory of God is God's character. So whatever you and I eat and drink, we'll stay on diet right now. Whatever you and I eat and drink, brothers and sisters, it should help reproduce God's character in me. Are you following? We're making it plain. We're going to make this eating and drinking thing so plain, brothers and sisters, you're going to know how to put together your grocery list the next time you go shopping. I'm serious. I love it. When the gospel is practical, even children can do it. Even children. So that's what we're doing. We're taking these high theoretical ideas and points, and we're trying to make it downright practical. So therefore, whatever I eat and drink, it must help reproduce 
God's character in me. Now, I think if we would do well to consider something, let's consider this. We're going to have to consider now, how do we eat and drink? It's one thing to tell me what to do. It's another thing to tell me how to do. One of the reasons why Satan is having so much success in the world is he says, be the best sinner you can be. But then he also says, and I'll show you how to do it. And he creates books and billboards and music. And he does everything possible to give a step-by-step instruction how to be professional sinners. The church must understand that if we're going to tell people to be godly and be holy, it's one thing to tell them. It's another thing to show them how to enter into that experience. Amen. So therefore, how do I eat and drink to the glory of God? How do I do this? So what we're going to do is we're going to consider some things. We are going to observe some attributes of God's character. Now, one of the first things we're going to look at is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. Let's turn there. Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. In Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20, let's see what the Bible says. When you get there, please say amen. In Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20, the Bible says this. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose what? Life. So the Bible says choose life. And it says that both thou and thy seed may live. Now, it says that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of our our days. So here it is that God is revealing himself to us as what? Life. Amen? He tells us, choose life, and he says, because I am life. Now, it's interesting. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So over and over and over again, we see that one of the key attributes of God's character is that he is life. Therefore, whatsoever you eat, whatsoever you drink, it should reproduce life in you, not death. I want that to sink in. Whatever you and I eat and drink, we are supposed to consider it. Do you remember when the Bible says, consider diligently what is said before you? And if any man be given to appetite, controlled by appetite, the Bible says it would be better to put a knife to your throat. We are to consider what is set before us. And brothers and sisters, when you and I eat and drink, we are to ask the question, is this going to produce life in me or death? And if it produces life in me, then I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is eating and drinking to the glory of God. But if it produces death in me, then I can say, well, you know what? I think I need to leave that alone. As an example, I'm going down to grocery shop and I see Sprite. And I say, mm-mm-mm, Sprite's all right. <laughs> and I take that Sprite off of the counter and I go ahead and I, before I get ready to put it in, I remember, wait a minute, I'm supposed to consider diligently what I put in my mouth. So before I put it in my shopping cart, I start to read what's in it. Mm. I look at that Sprite and I see, well, wait a minute, this is something called high fructose corn syrup. And then I realize, man, that's just a fancy way of saying sugar. And then I start to say, well, what, 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 high, what would high fructose corn syrup do to my body? And I said, well, man, it'll, 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 it'll debilitate my immune system. My immune system is what God gave me to protect my body from sickness and disease. So therefore, if I eat or drink something that has these things like high fructose corn syrup in it, I can see, man, that's going to break down my immune system and that's going to open my body to sickness and death and it's not going to reproduce life in me. You know what? I need to put that sh- Sprite back on the shelf. 
That's not drinking to the glory of God. Are you following that principle? Do you see how you can make it so practical that even when you go through the grocery store, you can start saying, man, what does this produce in me? What is this going to bring? Is it going to bring life? You can start having fun with the Bible. You can start studying all these things. You remember in Psalms 46 where God says, where the Bible says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. That means that whatever you and I eat is supposed to strengthen the body, not weaken it. Do you get it? You can start. God is not the author of confusion. So therefore, I shouldn't put things in my body that's going to cause confusion in my system, cause my circulation to be challenged, cause all these different issues to cause my heart to start palpitating like caffeine in coffee. Are you following? Eating and drinking to the glory of God. You can understand it from a biblical premise. Amen. You can start seeing this thing and you can look at all these wonderful attributes of God's character and you can practically apply these truths. Amen. Now, the reason why this becomes so important is let's consider something. The Bible says that in Psalms 104, 14, it says that he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the what? Herb for the service of man that he may bring forth what? Food out of the earth. Now, the word service literally means to minister. When God made the plantation, though, the plant kingdom, he made it to minister, to serve man, to be like a medicine. And that's why the Bible said it way before Hippocrates did. We love to quote the Greek, you know, philosopher Hippocrates, oh, food is your medicine. No, the Bible already told us food was our medicine. Food is one of the key things that we must understand, especially how it affects the mind. Now watch this, because my time is running. Did you know that if you and I carefully study the Bible, that we will start seeing that the Bible even gives us instructions on times to eat, amounts to eat, and even the quality of food we should be eating. You begin to look at that. Think about it. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, does it say that there's a time for everything under the sun? Is, there eating, is eating and drinking one of the things we do under the sun? So then the, there's a time for it. Is that right? That's what the Bible says. There's a time for everything under the sun. Eating and drinking is something we do under the sun. So there must be a right time to eat and drink. Now, the only way you and I could know is if we do like what the Israelites did. The Israelites, they studied physiology. They, they, they began to understand the body. Do you know leaders and teachers and individuals here, parents, that you can teach your children physiology? You can help them understand the body in simple ways. You're not going to go and pull out your big books from your medical school and do all those things, but you can help them understand simple things like digestion. We can help them understand those things. There's a time to eat and drink. And do you know that when you study physiology, you see half an hour before you eat is when you drink, and two hours after you eat is when you drink. But you do not eat and drink at the same time. And the reason why is because it will cause indigestion. So therefore, you begin to see that. Amounts to eat. Now I like this. this is, I'm going to show you biblical moderation right now. Go to Proverbs 24. You know, I meet people all the time. They say, well, you know, I'm eating this chocolate. I'm eating this. I'm drinking this coffee. I'm eating these bad things. I'm eating all these things. See, I'm not dealing with the unclean stuff because we already know that as SDAs. But we don't understand that health reform is higher than that. We were not supposed to get stuck at shrimp, lobster, and crab. <laughs> We're supposed to understand that there's other things that God has made clear to our minds that as a result of problems in this world, that the animal kingdom was going to become filled with sickness and disease. You can read that in Hosea 4, 1 to 3. But nevertheless, notice something in Proverbs 24. Because people often say, well, I drink a little alcohol in moderation. Or I do this, that, and the other in moderation. But notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 24. If you're there, say amen. amen. 
Now, in Proverbs 24 and verse 13, the Bible says, My son, eat thou honey. Why? Because it is good. And the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. So if the Bible says that it is good for us to eat, then the Bible says we can go ahead and eat it. But watch this. Proverbs 25, 16 puts a balance to it. It says, hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. So here goes God presenting a balance. He says, number one, he says, eat thou honey because it's good. But he says, but when you eat the honey, eat only a certain amount of it that is sufficient for you, lest you eat too much of it and your body will have an adverse effect and it will vomit it out. So it is that when God teaches moderation, he does not say that when you know it's bad, eat a little bit of it anyhow, simply because the God belly growls for it. God says that if you know it is good, it is based on my word, you know that I've given you the okay to do it. He says, go ahead and eat it, but only eat it in sufficient amounts. Broccoli is good for you, but you do not eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner 10 days straight, 20 days straight, 30 days and years straight. You don't do that, brothers and sisters. You eat the amounts that are sufficient for you. Are you following? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes ten seventeen, it says we should eat for strength and not for drunkenness. So therefore, the quality of food, you can find the Bible gives us guides because it helps us see that what we eat should strengthen the body, strengthen the mind. And here's the reason why. Watch this. When God made man and formed him out of the dust of the ground, man became a living soul. Now watch this. We must understand that when man was made, did you know that he was made with all of these elements? He was made with magnesium, phosphorus, calcium, potassium, sodium, iron, iodine, chlorine, sulfur. All of these things were already in the makeup of man when he was made from the ground because all these things were in the ground. Now, with that being a reality, brothers and sisters, that would naturally mean thus composes of elements. Elements compose our food. Food builds blood. Blood builds cells. Cells build tissues. Tissues build organs. And man is composed of organs. So you can see this connection. Now, this is the reason why we must understand this. What is food? In the book Abundant Health, page 25, it says a food may be defined as any substance which when absorbed into the blood will nourish the tissue, repair waste, and furnish force and heat to the body without causing injury to any of its parts. That's food in the highest understanding. Now, the reason why that becomes important is notice what Ministry of Healing, page 295 says. It says, our bodies are made up of the food we eat. Those foods should be chosen that best supply the elements needed for the building up of the body. We just studied what those elements were. So in other words, when you and I eat and drink, we should make sure that they have these elements in them so it can best nourish and take care of the body. Now watch this. When you think about the mind, never forget that the brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium... This is so key. Through which heaven can communicate to man and affect his most inmost life. You see, we don't believe that man has an indwelling spirit that can separate itself from the body and communicate with people and talk and all that stuff. We do not believe that as Seventh-day Adventist Bible-believing Christians. Amen? Amen? So therefore, when heaven wants to communicate with us, is heaven communicating with us right now? Does God want to give us present truth right now? 
He wants us to understand truth for this time so we can best know how to make it through the time of judgment and prepare to stand before a holy God without a mediator. Is that the work that God is doing right now? Brothers and sisters, this is the most crucial time to keep your mind clear because heaven is trying to communicate with us. And the best way, the only way that God can communicate with man is through the brain nerves. The brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate to man and affect his most inmost life. Now, here's some facts about the brain. It's approximately 80% water, consists of 10 billion nerve cells. Our memory can hold up to 100 trillion bits of information over a lifetime. Computers can only hold 1,000 bits of information. Our brains are more intelligent than even the best of what Dell or Apple or any of these folks can put together. Now, understanding this, we need to understand the differential. Is the brain the mind? You know, some people think yes. Some people say no. Some people say I don't know. But listen, if I can make it to you this way, the mind would be like software. The brain would be like the hard drive. The brain is the organ that you and I must keep healthy and strong so that the mind, which represents the thoughts and the feelings, can be properly conducted and clear. So therefore, the hard drive, question, all you computer gurus, this is is where the young people, I'm sure, can talk a lot. Question. If you got a messed up hard drive, will it affect your software? Yes, it will. So if your hard drive is messed up, then it's going to naturally also affect your software, right? So it is that if the brain is in a debilitated condition, brothers and sisters, it's going to affect the condition of the mind and the thoughts and the feelings. Are you following? God always understood this when it came to physiology. So therefore, we must understand all those elements, once again, is what man needs. Now, understanding that... Keep this in mind. Food gets broken down into blood. Blood is what we need to feed our brain and provide it its health. The brain is where the mind is housed and where the thoughts come from. The thoughts is where ultimately the actions, that's why the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Whatever goes on in the thoughts in your mind is what's going to come out in your action. And then actions repeated form habits, and habits form character, and character determines destiny. This has always been the divine link between what we eat and drink and how it affects the mind so that we can know the way of God. Now, the reason why that becomes so important is always remember that the Bible says there's a time to be born, but the Bible also says there's a time to die. Many times when people die, people say, well, I died because, or the person says, well, my my relative or whoever died because it was their time. That's not totally true. You know why? The Bible also says, neither be thou foolish, and why shouldest thou die before thy time? I believe with all of my heart that when my nephew Charlie died, I believe he died before his time. And one of the greatest reasons why I believe he died before his time is because he did something foolish. He chose to sell drugs just once. He was warned over and over and over again, do not get caught up in drug selling and drug dealing and all this other stuff. But he decided just one night, just once. He never dealt drugs before, just once. He said, let me go ahead and let me sell some drugs. And the night he sold it is the night his probation closed. You and I can die before our time, brothers and sisters, when we do foolish things. And you want to know one of the things that inspiration tells us is foolish? 
In Councils and Diets and Foods, page 404, it says erroneous eating and drinking result in erroneous thinking and acting. Did you catch that? Erroneous eating and drinking result in erroneous thinking and acting. And what happens is that if you look carefully at Christ's object lessons, you will find that it says in Christ's object lessons, page 356, thus actions repeated form habits, habits form character, and by the character, our destiny for time and for eternity is decided. Do you see the connection? The reason why the children of Israel always understood that in the afflicting of their soul, it was absolutely necessary that they would fast. The reason they fasted is they had to abstain from anything that would affect the body and becloud the mind, and they would not be able to properly understand the way of God and properly examine themselves to make sure all is well between myself and my Savior. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that's one of the greatest reasons why we have so many challenges in our church right now? Sometimes you can take Bible truth and make it so plain to brothers and sisters, but because in many respects of what they're putting inside of their system and how it's affecting their mind, no matter how plain the truth is that you're showing to them, they still say, well, I don't see it that way. You get in board meetings and you try to go ahead and do the work of God and we're spending more time arguing and differing with each other than spending time in prayer, fasting, and searching the scriptures to know the way of God to get the people ready. Why? It's because, brothers and sisters, erroneous eating and drinking results in erroneous thinking and acting. And actions repeated form habits. And habits form character. And character determines destiny. God has always understood this connection. And this is why, brothers and sisters, you want to make sure that if you are going to understand that you live in the time of the anti-typical day of atonement, upon a time in which we need to be deeply afflicting our souls, the last thing you want to do is simply indulge in appetite and put things in your system that beclouds the mind, numbs the brain, and causes us to not clearly discern what is the way of God. This is the worst time for God's people to be getting into gluttony, getting into all these different things, putting things in the system. Brothers and sisters, it's amazing. We can profess to keep the fourth commandment. Do you know that many of those who profess to keep the fourth are breaking the eighth? The Eighth Commandment says, Thou shalt not steal. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Watch this. And it says, And ye are not your own? Why am I not my own? He said, Because you have been bought with a price. It was that precious blood. Jesus says that I own you. Now, you know what's funny? If after this whole meeting was over and you invited me to your home, you said, Brother Lemon, you know, I really appreciate you, brother. I want you to come to my house and have dinner. And let's say I come by your house and you invite me to have dinner. And I, I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm sitting down and having dinner with you all. And I happen to notice a vase in your, in your living room. And I say, man, that's a nice vase. You say, well, well, thank you. And then all of a sudden you go in the kitchen to get some more food. And I just walk over to that vase and I just take it and say, man, this is real nice. <laughs> and I just stick it inside of my coat pocket and just, you know, go back to dinner. We sit down and start eating again. 
And I thank you, and I say, well, you know, thank you so much for a wonderful dinner. You, you know, you, you, you all have been absolutely great. And I say, all right, bye, and then I go ahead and leave. And then one day you're walking through your living room, and you notice, man, something looks different. <laughs> you walk through your living room, and you start saying, you know, my vase is missing. And you say, surely the minister could not have taken my vase. But, you know, you say, all right, well, let me go ahead and call him. You call me up. Brother Lemon, um, I need to talk to you. Uh... <laughs> You know, I, I had a vase in my living room, and, you know, I remember you acknowledged it and said you thought it was nice. Um, I just wanted to know, d- d- you wouldn't have by chance have taken it, would you? <laughs> and then here it is that all of a sudden I say, well, actually, yeah, I did. <laughs> I took it. You would probably say, this brother just stole Brother Lemon, you, you, you just stole from my house. Is that right? Because the stealing is when you take something that is owned by someone else and you take it without permission to use it for your own personal use. What if I told you and I said, well, you know, um, I took the vase because I thought of a family that doesn't have a, have a vase and I really wanted to be a blessing to them, so I just took it from you so I can go ahead and give it to them so that they could enjoy having a vase. You would probably say, Brother Lemon, you know, that sounds real good, but brother, you stole from my house. Is that right? So even though I have good intentions, at the end of the day, I'm still a thief. The Bible says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and you are not your own? You have been bought. With that precious blood of Jesus. And therefore you and I have no right to take the possession of God and feed it what we want without first consulting the owner. You can't dress it how you want without first consulting the owner. You can't do anything you want without first approaching the owner because if you do that the Bible calls it stealing this is how Ellen White can say to violate the laws of health is to violate the laws of God do you see the connection and so it is that Jesus says I want you to understand you're living in the time of judgment Jesus says, I want you to understand that soon and very soon, I'm preparing myself. Brothers and sisters, if you can only see it, it would be as if Jesus is in almost running relay position because he can't wait to burst through those clouds and embrace his bride and bring them to himself. Christ is longing to be with us, brothers and sisters. Do you know that if you are lost, it would be as if there would forever be a void in the heart of God because when God made you, there was no one else on earth like you. And God is longing, brothers and sisters. He's longing to be with us. He can't wait for this work to be finished so he can finally get the mediums out the way. Praise God for prayer. But Jesus says, I long for the day that I can remove prayer out the way. Jesus says, praise God for the human instruments who preach my word, but he's longing for the day that he can remove the instruments. That one day, he can burst through those clouds, brothers and sisters. 
and he can finally once again look us face to face. But he says, but the only way that can happen is you got to afflict your soul. You got to understand that you need to fast. You need to understand that I need your mind, Jesus says. I need your mind to be clear. You want to know why? Because in the most holy place, we are being judged by the law of God. Is that right? Our final text, Romans 7, 25. In Romans 7 and verse 25, the reason why Jesus wants us to keep our minds so clear The reason why he wants us to be mindful of our eating and drinking habits, the reason why he wants us to be so mindful of what we do to this body because of how it affects the mind is notice what the Bible says in Romans, the seventh chapter. Bible says in Romans, the seventh chapter in verse 25, the Bible says in Romans seven and verse 25, just looking at that very first point, it says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the what? Mind I myself serve the law of God. That's the reason why Jesus says in the time of judgment, you must be mindful of what you're putting in your body because it has a direct effect upon the mind. And the only way you can faithfully keep my law is you must understand that your mind must be in a condition so that you can serve it properly. Because we serve the law of God with our minds. And erroneous eating and drinking results in erroneous thinking and acting. And actions repeated form habits. And habits form character. And character determines destiny. And so it is that if you realize today in this study, you're saying, you're saying, Lord... I realize that if I'm going to faithfully and effectively afflict my soul, I need to start fasting. You're going to make a covenant with God. You're not doing this to make it. Brothers and sisters, there is no food item on earth that can make you righteous. You know that? This is not something you're doing to make yourself right with God. Heaven forbid. There is no. Adam and Eve ate a most perfect fruit and it brought sin into the world. So there's no food item that you can eat that can make you righteous. It is simply because of Christ, our righteousness, living within us and our desire to be reunited with him, never depart again. That is the motivation to say, Lord, I need to eat and drink to the glory of God because I want to make sure my mind is clear that I can faithfully serve your law and that I can see you when you come and we can be face to face, never depart again. This, brothers and sisters, are the principles that govern the gospel of health. So it is that today, if you realize, Lord, I haven't been fasting, but by your grace today, Lord, I'm going to fast. I want to make sure that I practice the right fasting so that I can faithfully afflict my soul. And if that's your determination, I want you to stand to your feet. We are praying. Our loving Father, Lord, we recognize that truly and indeed there is a gospel of health. Father, we can see better how what we eat and drink can affect our minds and our walk with you and even how and if we are able to even keep your law. And Lord, we thank you so much that you've helped us to understand these things a little better. And there's so much more, Lord, that can be said. 
We're just simply praying and asking for the divine presence of your Holy Spirit. Because, Father, it will not be by might nor by power that we're going to overcome appetite. It's only going to be by your Spirit, saith the Lord. And so, Lord, please grant us, your people, your Holy Spirit, so that we may have the power to even eat and drink to the glory of God. And we thank you, Father, for hearing and answering this prayer. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.